I was waiting for that to happen. Um, great to see everybody. Excited to share tonight. Thank you, Rich, for the privilege um, to speak tonight. Um, yeah, man, I'm very grateful to be able to share what God has put on my heart, and I pray that I can encourage all of us. Uh, been a minute, so let's let's pray um, before we before we hop in um, into the, tonight's lesson. Um, Father in heaven, God, you are incredible. Uh, God, it doesn't even really make sense how good you are to us. Um, God, you don't treat us as our sins deserve. You bless us, God, in spite of who we are, God. Um, but I know that there's so much more that you have planned for us and the way that you're shaping and molding us. I ask that you will speak through me tonight, God, and let your purpose, your will be done on this Zoom tonight. And Father God, I pray that we all leave just encouraged, we all leave inspired, we all leave challenged um, and drawn closer to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to share my screen. And we will hop into it. All right, thumbs up, everybody can see. Awesome. Okay, um, I'm gonna start off with a, a, a quick story. So there's this place called uh, Brooklyn Clay down over by like Vanderbilt and Atlantic. And uh, I've been there a couple of times, uh, taking Jess as like a, a fun, like little date idea. She loves to work with her hands. And I don't know if anybody else has worked with clay uh, or like on a, an actual like spinning wheel. Maybe you could put it in the chat if you have, if you haven't, you thought about it. But um, I thought it was interesting and a great visual for tonight. Uh, the way that clay gets molded is, is kind of interesting. It You take this, this formless, shapeless ball of clay and you actually slam it down on this, this thing called a bat, uh, which is the, the surface that it sits on. And then you, you, know, you put a little bit of pressure on the pedal. I'm, I'm sure most people can, can visualize like the pedal and it starts spinning. And then how it gets formed is really just consistent pressure. And like I said, I've done it a few times and it almost gets meditative. Like it feels like a yoga or Tai Chi as you're doing these different movements to bring this, uh, this, this, you know, form the shape into something beautiful. And um, every piece of pottery or China that is handmade goes through a process like this. And the end result is, is obviously beautiful. Like, you know, vases and, and cups and bowls and plates. Um, the end result is beautiful, but the process itself is, is messy. Um, if clay had feelings, it might even be like painful, right? You see at the very uh, far right here, they're shaping it. Um, there's pressure. In the same way, there is a place where God wants to mold us, brothers, if we'll let him. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight, the ways in which God wants to mold us. And I want to start here with this picture and this scripture in Matthew 4, verse 1. And it reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, or my footnote said tested, by the devil. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, this sentence feels weird to start, right? Uh, like, aren't temptation and the presence of the devil like a bad thing? Why would the Spirit of God lead Jesus into what seems like a straight up ambush, right? Um, you know, most of us has heard this story before. And so I think we all know what happens 
But have you guys ever thought about why? And have you ever specifically thought about where it happens? Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? And why did Jesus respond the way he did? Is there anything significant about the wilderness that can help us see how God wants to shape and mold us more and more into his image? So let's recap the story of Matthew 4. You obviously can go and read it on your own, but I'm going to give us kind of like the highlights of the overarching story because, again, I think we know it. So Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days and nights. And he's hungry. And then the devil comes and he tempts him, right? He tempts him three times. Two times he questions Jesus' identity. And he says, prove it. If you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, you know, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Satan tries again. Second attempt. Okay, you can use scripture. Satan uses scripture. You know, throw yourself down from the top of this temple. You know, God will send his angels concerning you to catch you. And Jesus responds, you know, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan tries, you know, to me, what feels like just a straight up Hail Mary. Like he's just... He's just going for it. Uh, he goes, look at all the kingdoms. I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then Satan left him and the angels came to Jesus' side. And now we know that, you know, this is a perfect example of using scripture as a, a spiritual sword against Satan's schemes. But I think there's more to the story. This is one of those instances for me where the Bible just like opens up my mind because I get to see the, the larger story, the larger picture of what God wants to be for all of us. And for me, it's like, that's mind blowing. I don't know if you guys know, but as I studied it out, I started to see the connection between what was going down with Jesus and Satan in the wilderness and another familiar wilderness. Every one of Jesus's responses to Satan is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And so I see God creating this like parallel picture to the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the New Testament authors are helping us see that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. Like he is our great example of a man who followed God wholeheartedly. Jesus succeeded where Adam and Eve and the Israelites and consequently all of humanity, humanity failed. Um, Jesus' triumph and his victory over Satan is, is also just more than a picture of not sinning. And I think it's important to say that, you know, it's like it's easy to become obsessed with not sinning, but that's not the goal. Uh, of following God, of following Jesus. Jesus' triumph over Satan was a result of who he was on the inside. And he was a person to whom obeying God was fulfilling to him. To Jesus, God's commands were not simply rules to follow, but it's what kept Jesus' heart intertwined with God's heart. And I believe that is the purpose of the wilderness. So my brothers, uh, where's your heart right now? 
Are you passionately and deeply in love with God? I know it happens to be Valentine's Day today. Maybe that was God's plan. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're talking about a bigger love here. Everyone should be a far second in comparison to our love for God. Uh, so let's use the wilderness as a backdrop to unpack what the ways in which God molds us from the inside out. So the title of tonight's lesson is uh, Three Lessons from the Wilderness. We're going to talk about retreating, relying, and reaching. But before we do, maybe guys can put in the chat, you know, how would you define the wilderness? How would you define the wilderness in, in one word? See if we get some responses. We got dry, absolutely, a barren wasteland. Anybody else? How else would you describe the wilderness in a word or two? Thirst, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Desolation, a place of desperation. Loneliness, lonesome. You guys are on the money. Absolutely dry. You guys get the vibe. Um, not a ton of wilderness in, in Brooklyn per se, but we can picture it. We can visualize it. We can imagine it. And so I want you all to go there with me tonight just to define wilderness. The, the official, you know, Merriam-Webster definition of wilderness is an undeveloped area undisturbed by human activity. An undeveloped area undisturbed by human activity. And uh, to, to pick that apart even more biblically, the Greek word used in the Bible is uh, eremos or eremos, according to Blue Letter Bible, uh, ha has a little Spanish flair to it, the way that they, they pronounce it. But what it means is an uninhabited, uncultivated place, uh, a desert and a desolate area, similar to the things you guys were saying. And honestly, I don't, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound attractive <laughs> to me, right? Like, what could be good about the winter, the wilderness? That's not a place that you're, you know, looking to, to plan the marriage retreat. It's not a way, a place that you're looking to send a postcard from or tag on Instagram. But, you know, while the desert is desolate, a solitary place does have some benefits. And so that's what we want to unpack tonight with these three lessons. So let's continue. My first point tonight is retreat. The wilderness can teach us to retreat. So I want us to look at this photo and to picture yourself in the wilderness. The sun is set. The only light from the moon is from the moon and from the stars, which are unmistakably clear in the desert sky. And imagine being there and God being with you, not talking, just existing in his presence. I think it's, it's easier to sense God away from the noise of life. And when I do get a chance to be away, I love to be outdoors, somewhere like this where the sky just opens up because it helps me to visualize how big God is and how small I am. Now hold that thought 
as you uh, you take in a few stats. 97% of Americans own a cell phone of some kind, and nine out of 10 of those own a smartphone. 75% of Americans feel uneasy leaving their phone at home. 89% check their phones within the first 10 minutes of getting up. 75% use their phones while on the toilet. Thought that was funny. 47% uh, of people say they feel panic or anxiety when their phone battery goes below 20%, 20%. I thought that was pretty interesting as well. And then 40 million people, which is the equivalent of like 19% of the population, suffer from an anxiety disorder, making it the most common mental illness in the United States. And, you know, a quote from that same article said that some experts believe that anxiety is so common in the U.S. today because of how much information we are receiving on a daily basis. You know, we're having trouble understanding what we need to react to and what information we can let go of. Um, the truth is, guys, we have more content available to us than we can actually process. It's in our pockets. It's, you know, when we walk around, it's on the train. I was on the train today and they have the the new one that has digital ads, it's like Times Square on the subway. Um, and that's the world that we live in. And there are obviously benefits to that, but there are also plenty of downsides. Um, you know, our inner lives often become a reflection of our outer lives. And maybe you see yourself in these stats, um, but maybe your life is, is busy and noisy and that can often result in us being distracted. I think the truth is, until we're deliberate about retreating to be with God, we will continue to be formed by a hyper-distracted and attention-deficit world. And in face of all these, we can look at Jesus. Jesus had a rhythm of retreating to be with God. And so let's look at the way that he chose to retreat to be with God. We'll hop into Luke 4 and verse 40 and read to 42. It says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their, what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowds searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. Uh, I think what's interesting here is just highlighting the times. <laughs> You know, we see that Jesus was working, doing ministry, healing, uh, you know, as the sun went down that evening. Earlier up in the chapter, it talks about how he was preaching and how he healed someone else's mom. Like, Jesus was working. Jesus was busy. And so he was working all day. And then the sun went down. And then he still got up early the next morning to go and seek out that time to be with God. You know, and I think a lot of us can relate, we can relate to 
uh, busy days, days where you feel drained, days where you have to give and give and give, and you're juggling multiple responsibilities. But in Jesus, we see him making that time to retreat to an isolated place. In the following chapter, we see the same thing. Jesus continuing to give, continuing to preach. But then in verse you know, 15 of, uh, of Luke 5, it says, but despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And uh, I put those two scriptures back to the back because I think it's important to see that it wasn't a one-off for Jesus. This was the way that, you know, he lived his life. It was defined by the times where he gave a lot to people and then times when he withdrew to be with God. Jesus could have done anything with his time on earth, you know, but he chose to make that time to be alone with God. And uh, I like to think, you know, what, what was he talking about with God in those times? Like maybe he talked about dealing with the disciples and, you know, the ways in which he had to kind of bear with them. Maybe he talked about dealing with the Pharisees whom he spent a lot of time with. They were always persecuting him. Uh, maybe angels came down and, you know, encouraged him and ministered to him. Um, similar to what we read in, in Matthew 4. But maybe he just sat. Maybe he just sat there in God's presence and enjoyed that connection that he had to, uh, to God in heaven. Whatever it was, I think it's clear that it was a necessity for Jesus. It wasn't an option. It wasn't a nice to have. It was a necessity for him. And so whatever it was, it was important. And it, it clearly seemed to give him strength to do the work that he came to do. I think we can learn from that. I know, you know, myself, I've definitely been focusing on this uh, for a while now. I'd say like maybe the past two years, which is, you know, funny, the, the same amount of time I've been a dad. Um, you know, retreating is, is counter to my nature, but I see my soul's need for it. Um, if you guys know me, uh, you know that I love to be productive. Uh, I love to be efficient. I love the feeling of crossing something off of a list. Maybe you can relate to that, uh, but that's just who I am. That's the way that God wired me. And, you know, there's benefits, obviously, at work. I get a lot done, <laughs> you know, um, and obviously with my family, right? Like you're juggling things. You got to be on top of stuff and, and I get stuff done. Um, but I do. I feel God calling me deeper into my prayer life because none of those things that I feel like I, I get done, whether it be work or just stuff at home or planning, whatever, none of that stuff is what I want to be remembered for. Those things in, in light of who God is seem so insignificant. Um, and so, like I said, I feel like God's been calling me deeper. And so I've really been trying to, to study it out. And I just wanted to share a few resources uh, that have been helpful for me. On the far left here, Practicing the Way is uh, a podcast, a series, a nonprofit. And, you know, they really break down uh, following Jesus with some, some practicals and some spiritual disciplines that have been very helpful. Learn a lot about silence and solitude and things like that, which I mentioned are 
counter to my nature. Um, <laughs> and the middle one is this book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Uh, I could not stand the title when I first saw it, but I listened to, I think it's a podcast based off of the book. And man, it just moved my heart so much to see a kind of a global perspective on prayer. And then, you know, like I said, I got to have a toddler. So I'm not reading uh, many books outside the Bible, but I do listen to this one and have listened to it a few times. I use uh, Audible. And then this book on the, the far right, it's called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And it is so inspiring to hear that type of perspective on prayer. Um, and all of this supplements, you know, what I'm reading in the Bible, but uh, maybe some of these can be helpful for you. And even as I study these things out, though, the hardest part for me is just stopping. The hardest part is being deliberate about setting aside that time to be with God and sticking to it. Because like we saw with Jesus, there was a consistency to his withdrawing. I think that uh, Satan would love for us to be highly productive, but also highly distracted Christians who miss out on the intimacy with God that he offers us. And I think prayer is one thing that can truly help us to, to get there. Um, just to unpack this a bit more, right? There are different types of prayer. Like, have you studied these things out? Do you know the different types of prayer that are there? Uh, do you have, you know, kind of a, a holistic view of prayer. There's silent prayer where, you know, you don't have to say anything or you only say a few words or a song and you just sit in God's presence and, you know, reveal your heart to him or you listen. There's adoration where we, we lift up God, we praise him, we thank him, you know, uh, we give him the praise that he deserves. There's confession where we, we lay out our sins. Um, we, yeah, we tell God, you know, which, which he sees already. <laughs> we just put it out there before God and we ask him, you know, for healing. Uh, intercession is another type of prayer, right? Praying on the behalf of other people. Um, and if our heart isn't there fully for that, I think even just praying for, uh, to have the same heart that God has about the brokenness in this world. Uh, there's so much in this world. There was uh, a shooting today. In, in Kansas City, I'm like at the Super Bowl parade, like what, who has the reason to be upset at the Super Bowl parade? Who knows? But it's proof that this is a broken world and there's so much pain in it. Um, and so intercession is another type of prayer to tap into. These are things we can study out. These are the things that we can strengthen in ourselves, things we can dive into, share with each other. There's petition, which, you know, asking for specific things in our lives, uh, our daily bread. Then there's persistent prayer um, in which, you know, you, you're praying for one thing for a long time because, you know, God may not always answer it then, or the answer may be no or not right now. And so that's another discipline of learning to pray, you know, consistently, persistently. And Jesus talks about that in scripture. And that's, you know, just for me, I used to, uh, I used to view prayer as a time where I needed to, to do mostly the petition one. Like I really needed to pray for everything and everybody. And if I didn't do it that way, then I was doing it the wrong way. And so it felt almost like a, a chore or if I finished praying, I felt like, ah, I didn't really 
do it well. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that's where God, you know, wants us to be. Um, and I pray that you don't see it that way either. I pray that you don't see another area of maybe your spiritual walk where you're weak or you're, you know, average, you know, you're grading yourself and you just need to be better. But what I pray you guys see is that retreating to the wilderness is an opportunity to let God and God alone speak to the depths of your heart. And uh, I'll share an example of what that's like in a video clip on the next slide. Huh? Let me see one second. Uh, okay. There it is. Resume. Look down there. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Father. I don't know about y'all, man, but I know it's the Lion King, but that always gets to me. <laughs> There's something about, uh, you know, just being in the presence of, of our father who is, is, is just watching over us and, and calling us to be who we really are. And so I pray that this quote will hit you all. Like, remember who you are. Um, you are a man made in the image of God. That's huge. And there's work that he's prepared in advance for all of us to do. And I think the more that we get into God's word and we get into his presence and the more that we'll be equipped to do it. Prayer is not simply a time to, to get things off our chest uh, and then go do whatever we want, right? And it's also not a time to kind of like faithlessly inform God about our problems and then not like have not have the expectation that he's going to do something about it. 
prayer is a, a chance to soften our hearts and to align our hearts with where God is and what he cares about. So I pray that we, we go after it. We chase it wherever we are. We remember who we are and we make that time to be with God in the wilderness because we desperately, desperately need it in this world where we are distracted and we just have so much vying for our attention. Um, I work in advertising. I don't work for a social media um, company, you know, like, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I work for advertising. And I know everybody's vying for your attention. We, in order to be the men that God has called us to be, need that time in the wilderness with God. So let's chase it. Amen. Uh, get that already. It brings you to my next, my sex, my second point, which is rely. The wilderness can teach us uh, to rely. So another visualization exercise. I'm a, I'm a very visual person. Um, so let's let's take a second, right? Picture yourself in the wilderness, an uh, ancient wilderness where you rely heavily on the sun and on the rain and on the shade. You rely on the grass to feed your herds. I want us to picture the interdependence of a person who's just trying to survive in the desert or with a family or with you know, someone elderly, an elderly family member to care for. Not easy, right? Uh, it's, I think it's easier to get in touch with our need for God when we picture ourselves in the wilderness. Um, but I also don't think that there's, there's much that's different between then and now. You know, sure that we can, we can order anything that we want in a matter of seconds. Everybody's using Amazon. I don't know how they have stuff the same day. I don't know how they have the thing that I want that can get here tonight or tomorrow. It's crazy. You know, sure, we can do that. And sure, we can store up food to last us months at a time. And sure, we can take showers. I hope we all take showers <laughs> whenever we want to, as long as we want to. But, I, you know, the reality is those are only our surface level needs. Um, and we need God for everything, obviously, right? But we especially need him for the things that our hearts desire the most. And I think we all can can think deeply about what we really want out of life. I think we have the desire to see our family and our friends come to faith. We wanna break the generational curses in our families. We wanna change our hearts and our character, right? These are the things that truly matter in life. And, and I think we need God desperately for them. And so we're going to talk about the wilderness as a place of testing. This is the chapter that Jesus quoted when he was testing the wilderness. And it's a beautiful picture and a beautiful parallel of what God can do and does in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 to 4 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character 
and to find out whether or not he would obey his commands. The um, speaking of Exodus, uh, the movies and you know the Bible stories they always cut the Exodus story short, and um, you know Hollywood loves a story that ends with this triumphant uh, you know escape through the Red Sea and all the people go through. They love that. They love that kind of as the end of the story. But the truth is, we know in reading the Bible that that's just the beginning of the nation of Israel, right? Uh, through God freeing them from Egypt, they saw him do historic, miraculous things. But what we also see is that those things weren't enough to change their hearts. And God used the wilderness for that. Truth is, the wilderness is a place where God can humble and test us. Because in the tests of life, who we are deep down gets revealed. Uh, just to share about myself, you know, I've been married for um, five years in April. And uh, my son is two. Most of you know him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love them both with all my heart. Um, but the, the reality is also like being married and becoming a father are the most challenging aspects of my life. Um, I love my wife and I love my son and I'm so grateful and, and so privileged to have those relationships. But at the very same time, it exposes my sin and where I fall short. Um, it exposes my impatience, my selfishness. It can expose how easily angered that I can be. And it breaks my heart that, you know, the people I love most are the people that have to experience my sin. And I don't know if you can relate to that or feel that way. Uh, but what's also true is that these things, these areas where I fall short, are the ways that God can also mold me through the inside out as he, as he reveals what's in my heart. What are those things for you? These are some of life's tests. You know, I've only been on the, the, I only have had life for 33 years. Some of you have plenty, plenty more than that. You know, but from my observation, these are some of the things that I think can test us, right? Our finances, money acting funny. Finances can test us. Family can test us. No one's family is perfect. Everybody's family is, is you know, some version of dysfunctional, but it can test us. It can bring out the stuff in us and it can do it so quickly. Uh, our health, the health of our loved ones, uh, are most certainly huge tests. Relationships with one another, friendships, coworkers, whatever. If you feel disrespected, if you feel overlooked, if you encounter racism, what happens inside you, right? If you are uh, type A like myself and you're running late <laughs> for something important, you know, what does that provoke in you? What does it bring out? If you have unmet expectations about something, whether it be with another person, something you thought was going to happen in your life, what happens in your heart? My question for us, brothers, is are you working on that part of your heart? Are you working on the deep stuff, right? Are we using the word of God to guide us through these things and shape our perspective? Do we talk about them? with each other, with our spouses. 
Do we bring it into the light? Do we study it out? You know, do we bring it to God in prayer? The truth is that deeper part of ourselves is what God is looking to purify and to refine. And that's where we learn to be more like Jesus, who in every situation still existed in a perfect connection and union with God. And that's where we want to be. Oh, had another slide on that. So are we? Are we working on that? You know, when those moments happen, do we uh, do we just move on? Do we say a quick prayer and then keep it pushing? Or do we really see those moments as, as, as ways God is exposing our hearts and helping us to see the ways in which he wants to mold us to be more like Jesus? Those things are uncomfortable. Like I've said, I hate to see how impatient I can be, how quickly, boom, I can get angry, you know? Uh, even in, in dealing with a, a toddler, right? It's new every few months, something new is changing. Um, and it's just exposing the ways in which I need to grow. But it drives me back to my knees. It drives me back to scripture. It drives me to memorize scripture. You know, I love uh, Proverbs 16.32, I believe. You know, better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control and one that takes a city. Like, are we memorizing scripture so that we can help us, uh, help ourselves, and God can mold us into uh, more and more of what he wants us to be? That slide should not be there. So continuing to talk about the wilderness. Let's talk about the wilderness and, and the miraculous. That's another thing that we can see in the wilderness. So just a couple verses down from what we just read in Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 3, it says, Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live on bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Uh, this is you know, amazing to me because <laughs> we know what the Israelites went to. They weren't you know, the most faithful group of people. But it also shows me that like, God is not a drill sergeant. He's not yelling commands down from heaven, demanding perfection. He's not waiting until you slip up or you mess up so that he can punish you when you step out of line. Uh, God is not any of those things. God is gracious and he wants our hearts to revere him and to love him above all else. Uh, for me, this. This doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense that the same people who grumbled over and over in the desert are the same people who got to experience manna, which the Bible talks to calls the bread of angels. Like they didn't deserve it. They were probably the least, you know, qualified for what would have been miraculous, but but that's who God is. You know, He blesses us in spite of who we are. That's how much He loves us and how much He wants to turn our hearts to him. God would use the times when we come face to face with what's beyond our control um, and use it to show us who he really is. Uh, this apartment that um, I'm in right now, we moved 
in the beginning of December last year. And um, I don't know if anybody else has been looking for an apartment lately or is about to start looking. It is not fun in New York City. We already know that like everything is expensive in the city. Everything's expensive in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, as we were looking last year, we were looking for months. We were on the street at Easy every single night. We put Micah to sleep. We were on the street Easy. I'm sending her stuff. I'm on apartments.com. I'm sending her stuff. And um, to be honest, I started to get a little bit bitter because it's just it's just so expensive or you feel like, you know, you can't agree on something. And uh, there's this demand. You show up to see the apartment and it's like a line of 20 other people looking for the same apartment. And I'm like, it's not even that great. Like, why is it so many people? Um, and even just in trying to agree on, on a spot to apply to, Jess and I had several kind of like tough conversations and argument. Like it was, it was, it was a rough stretch of time trying to figure out an apartment that worked for us, apply and get it and go through the process and all that. Um, on top of that, you got to give them all your information. You got to give them, you know, your pay stubs for the last few months, all your bank accounts, your 401k. I was like, this feels illegal. Like, how is this, how is this legal? Like all your information. And then on top of that, you know, you have broker's fees. Um, you know, no offense to anybody who works in real estate, but I was like, yo, I know a shakeup when I see one, like 15% of the annual rent. Like what, what are we talking about? So <laughs> If you were talking to me during that time, man, I'm just like, pray, pray for God to reveal what he wants us because it was was not fun. And, you know, we prayed and prayed for something that we would agree on. Uh, and this apartment that we're in now, we found, we both liked it. We met the landlord. He said, okay, cool. Um, it is everything that we've wanted and more. It is not brand new building, but it is a space that we need. It's a two bedroom. Micah has, you know, his own room. It is not a two bedroom price which, you know, praise God, it has a little bit of backyard space. It is the first floor. If y'all know, I moved from the third floor. And then all of that is a blessing. On top of that, once we got approved, we learned that um, it's actually cheaper, a little bit cheaper than the listing price, which it was. Uh, and on top of that, it's also rent stabilized. And we live in Park Slope in like, you know, South Slope area. And, uh, you know, people are like, wait, what? How did you even find that? I don't know. We didn't even know it was really stabilized until we applied and got approved. And, you know, for me, that that's just an example of God. Uh, God just showing his grace. God doing the miraculous in what seems like a, a, a dark and impossible situation. I think the truth is God can do the miraculous in the places where we have no control. And so we shouldn't run from those moments. We shouldn't freak out or trip in those moments. We can look to God in those moments. You know, for the Israelites, the wilderness exposed their tendency to grumble and complain. Every time there was a need that was unmet, they, you know, complained about it, complained to Moses. They lost sight of God, um, all he was and all he did. And for me, you know, I, I definitely will say I was not faithful the entire time. I was like, man, I'm done with this city. I'm tired of New York. Why is everything so expensive? Um, but now, as I look back, this, this apartment is such a reminder that I don't need to trip. Like God is in control. He can do anything. There is no problem that he cannot solve. And I pray that you can have that heart as well. In order for us 
to be men who walk in faith-filled connection to God, sometimes we need to be reminded that we can't do it all. We need to be reminded that God is powerful and that power is unmatched. And literally there is nothing that he cannot do. And so I'll ask, you know, what is that place for you? What area of your life do you come face to face with your lack of control? Is it internal or external? Is it, you know, your purity? Is it views about the future? You know, you know what that is for you. But where is that place where you feel like you have no control? How can you surrender that to God and faithfully trust him to do the miraculous if he chooses to? There's this quote about being self-reliant that I like. It says, we choose to be self-reliant because we believe it will work for us. To train ourselves to be godly, we have to tell ourselves the truth. Relying on ourselves is only going to get us but so far. And I prove it with this next scripture that I also love in Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Um, take away what you can from this. I think the part that stands out to me is, you know, drawing strength from mere flesh is our heart turning away from God. And it challenges me, where, where is my confidence? Where is my trust? Where is my hope? Is it in me, what I can do? Or is it in God? Let's put our trust in God. And that brings me you know, to my final point as we wrap up, which is the wilderness can teach us to reach. Same, same uh, chapter, three verses down in Deuteronomy 8. It says, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. Sounds delicious, right? It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as, as abundant in the hills. Uh, when you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Um, God has always been on a mission to bring us back to him. Just as God wanted to bring the Israelites uh, from Egypt into the promised land with, with a renewed heart, he wants to bring us into heaven. But he wants to change us on the inside in order for us to get there. Um, when I read this, that's all I think of. I think of heaven. I think of perfection. I think of every need being met in abundance. 
So let's be men who reach for that. Let's be men who long to be there with God. Let's be men who are willing to let God mold our hearts in the wilderness along the way. Thank you. Three lessons from the wilderness.